see you, and I can see my paper. It looks okay? <laughs> they look new, okay. <laughs> All right, well, good. <laughs> Praise God. Romans 11, 33 through 36. And this morning we're going to talk about the wonderful and, and unexpected ways of God. They're wonderful, but sometimes we just don't understand it. We don't expect it. But they're wonderful. In Romans eleven thirty three, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be recompensed or paid back unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Father, we thank you that, Lord, that you do have wonderful ways. Lord, we thank you that as you work in each one of our lives, Lord, that you are the master, that you have a master plan, and that you're weaving in and out of our lives, even taking some of our, our mistakes and our misunderstandings and our, and our, and our falls and our failures, and you're, you weave that in and through your work in our life. And so, Lord, we thank you that we are in your hand. We thank you, Lord, that you give us wisdom. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust in you and not lean to our own understanding. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. Faithful is you who begun the work and you will finish it in each one of us. And so, Father, I pray today that wherever each one of us is at, whatever each one of us is going through, whatever we're experiencing now, Father, I thank you that you will just confirm to our hearts, Lord, that we're in your plan. We're in the place where you want us to be, and you're working in us the plan that you have for our life, and you will show us and guide us and give us the directions, the instructions, the power, the grace to follow you and stay on your path. And Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, the, uh, Paul said the, the riches of his wisdom, the riches of his knowledge. You know, the, when you get the knowledge of God, when you get the wisdom of God, you're rich. There's a richness that comes into your life that will enhance all that you are and all that you do. And there's a depth to it. See, the, the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, it goes beyond the surface. See, our problem is, is we look at things outwardly. You know, we're, we're, we're controlled a lot of times by the five physical senses. So we look at things on the outward. We perceive things on the outward. And, and on the outward, things can be very confusing and doesn't understand and it doesn't make sense and it doesn't fall into place. But God is doing something far greater. There's a depth. 
And in this depth, it all pertains to his judgments. Now, judgments is an interesting word because you can be on the good side of God's judgments or you can be on the bad side of God's judgments. But wherever you are with his judgments, it's his righteousness, it's his order that is at work to help you, to, to benefit you. That even when you have to, you know, go to the woodshed, <laughs> you know, the Bible says, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Because it yields something. It, it creates something. It produces something in us. And it's the, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That they that are exercised in it develop and mature. See, that's kind of the biggest thing that God's always working on us. He's trying to get us to grow up, trying to get us to mature. You know, he was talking to those Hebrews, and he says, you know, you're kind of dull of hearing. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get you to grow up. I'm trying to get you to, so we can go on to some other things. And so a lot of times when God's doing things in our life, and he's working in our life, and he's dealing with us in certain ways, the challenge that we have is, are we going to look at it on the surface or are we going to try to find the depth? You know, he goes on to here and says, you know, it almost kind of sounds like in this particular verse that, you know, it's unsearchable. Like we can't even know it. It's so, it's so great. It's so deep. It's so vast. We can't even know what is this wisdom? What are his ways? What are his judgments? But really, as, you look, as we look in here today, we're going to find out that God does want us to know these things. That inside of each one of us that is born again, that has Christ in us, there's a capacity and ability within each one of us to have the mind of Christ. And that the mind of Christ is not something that it's in there, but it's something that we develop. You know, in Romans chapter 12, he said, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that renewing of our mind is a discipline in our life. And it is something that we have to persevere on. It is something that we have to effort, put effort into. Paul said in, um, in Philippians, he says, you know, set your mind on these things above. And he talks about, you know, Thinking after these things, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is a good report, whatever is full of praise, think on these things. And our challenge in our day and what's going on in our culture is they're trying to persuade people's minds. They're trying to get people's minds to go in so many different directions. They're trying to take down the barriers of truth and righteousness to get people to be so open-minded that they'll allow the enemy to come in there and deceive them and take what is good and turn it into evil. And so in our personal life, what can we do to combat that? Well, in our own personal life, we have to stay disciplined to keep our minds thinking on the right things. Don't let your mind wander. Don't let your mind think about things that aren't pure, that aren't lovely, that aren't full of praise. 
Because what happens is if your mind goes in those places, then you cannot understand the ways of the Lord. You cannot tap into the depth of the riches of his wisdom and knowledge. And so life can be very frustrating. Life can be a struggle. Life can be confusing. Life can be a burden. It can, it can take some people out. Where, why do some people who are excited about the Lord, who are excited what God's doing, God's spoken things to their life, they're moving in a direction, and all of a sudden they just start to take a wrong turn, and you see their attitude change. You see their, their mindset change. You see their actions begin to change, and instead of them moving forward, they start to draw back. What happened? What got in their head? What got in their thinking? You know, Joseph, he had to go through this. If you look over in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with the child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth the Son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took to him his wife, and did not know her until she had brought forth the firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now let's just think about this for a minute. I, I, I really try to put myself in Joseph, in his shoes. And here he is. I mean, he's excited. He, you know, back then, it's different in how they got engaged than the way we do it here. You know, here, you get the ring. You talk to the father. You ask for permission. You, you, you plan a certain day. And sure enough, yeah, there you go. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's how we are when we're trying to lean to our own understanding, right? Sometimes we just can't figure out what God is doing. But here's Joseph. You know, it, it, back then it was a little bit different. So in, in getting married, there was a, 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 it was a, it was, getting engaged was actually like being married. So when you wanted to marry somebody, young men had, had to, first of all, their father had to go to the father of the bride. They had to pay a dowry. There was, you know, there was some skin in the game here. And then the groom usually had to give the bride some type of gift. Maybe it was a monetary thing, furniture. Maybe it was real estate. 
Or maybe it was services that they were going to provide for that family. You know, Joseph could have said, I'm going to build furniture for your entire family if you let me marry your daughter. And then he had to sign a contract. I mean, they were, in all practical purposes, a commitment was made. They were like married, except they did not consummate the marriage until later. And what's interesting is what they would do is the groom would begin to build an addition onto the father's house. And this addition was called the bride chamber. And so here he, once, once everything was agreed upon, once he was theoretically already married to her on paper, now he leaves and he goes and begins to prepare this bride chamber. And then when it's ready, and nobody knows when, but when it's ready, then he begins to come back to the bride's house. She doesn't even know. She's got to be ready. She doesn't know when he's coming. But he comes, and when he comes, there's a shout. There's a trumpet. She gets ready. She's ready to meet him. And then he comes, and he takes her so that she will be with him and brings her to his bride chamber. Praise God. Are we ready? We're get, there's going to be a day, amen? Our groom is coming. He's going to make a shout. There's going to be a trumpet, and we're going to be caught up to meet him. Hallelujah. So getting engaged back then was more involved. So that's why it, in order for this to end, you know, he, he couldn't just say, Mary, keep the ring, we're done. Or give me the ring back, depending upon where he was, <laughs> how generous he was. He couldn't do any of that. He had to actually go through a divorce process in order to separate. But just think about all that he's invested at this point. And you know what's interesting about this, and you, you kind of have to bounce from Matthew 1 to Luke 2 and Matthew 2 and kind of get the, the whole piece together. But, <clears throat> you know, Mary, when she found out about this, you know, the angel came to her. And here she's already engaged, and she's already thinking, you know, I'm going to get married. I'm going to have children. This is how my life is going to be. I mean, all of you mothers, you know that whole process of just figuring, you know, envisioning and imagining and getting all excited. And then all of a sudden, an angel comes and just changes up the whole plan. Like, this doesn't make any sense. But then, as the angel begins to talk to her, begins to explain to her, all of a sudden it goes from being kind of frightened, being kind of concerned, to like, wow, I'm really special. Like, I'm going to have the Son of God in me. So now she's getting kind of excited. I'm, in a, I'm really a highly favored person. She doesn't go to Joseph and say, hey, guess what's going on? She goes to her cousin Elizabeth. She goes over to her. She says, 
you know, something really strange happened. And she begins to tell her story. Elizabeth tells her story. They find out God's doing something in both of them. The Holy Ghost manifests. John the Baptist is in her womb. She's six months pregnant. She gets all excited. The baby's doing dances inside of her. I mean, this is a Holy Ghost meeting. This is a, a, a confirmation. I can imagine the, the joy and the excitement and the exuberance that was going on in this encountering. So much so that actually... Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months. This wasn't just, you know, go there, on, there in the morning and come back in the evening. Meanwhile, Joseph's back at home. He's building the, the bride chamber. He's getting everything ready. He's envisioning, you know, what's this going to be like. It's probably getting closer to it being completed. And we're going to have this ceremony and we're going to consummate. And he's getting his mind all set this way, the usual way. Meanwhile, Mary's over here. God's changing up the whole plan, the whole system, the whole routine. She's all excited, getting all this confirmation. She comes back to Joseph. Now three months have gone by. She's been pregnant now for three months. Things start to change a little bit. Now back then, they didn't, you know, they didn't wear uh, yoga pants. <laughs> So you can kind of hide, you can kind of hide some things with robes and so forth. So, but you know, three three months later, she says, "Joseph, I got something exciting to tell you. We got to get together right away." So I'm sure they had a nice lamb chops and, uh, and hummus and some hummus and yeah, with a little unleavened bread and and she says. She begins to tell him what has happened. And can you imagine the excitement that's in her face? Like, angels are talking to us, and God is doing this, and he's doing this in Elizabeth, he's doing it in me, it's time. Everything that, that our people have been praying for and hoping for, it's happening, it's happening right now, and through us. And I can imagine Joseph, he's looking at her, like she's an elephant wearing a pink tutu. <laughs> like something just isn't right about this. Like, <laughs> like you know, this just, you know, I, I could just see the look on his face. This was not a part of the plan. This is not how I envisioned God was going to bring us together and bless our life. And so here she goes from super high to super low. I mean, think about Joseph now after this little chat they had. He probably doesn't look at her the same way anymore. He probably doesn't talk to her the same way anymore. She probably feels a little bit of a wall of resistance. He's probably thinking, you know, she's just, she seems so stable. You know, the reason why I just fell in love with her, she just was a, a good woman, a stable woman. And man, she just fell off the deep end. Like something is just out of her mind that is off. And yet she's just so good and so kind. And he was a righteous man. And he, he knew that, you know, and, and the other thing is this is a very... Uh, serious situation because if word gets out she's pregnant without him they can stone her I mean her life is on the line 
and his reputation is on the line. I mean, he's an established carpenter. Some even say that he was more of an architect, with the, the Greek word to carpenter, that he was more of an architectural mind, that he was designing and building, not just individual furniture, but maybe a building uh, buildings and designing things like that. So he probably had a lot of reputation on the line. So they were going through the ringer. And now here she was high, thinking Joseph was going to be just as excited about this as her. But now he's not. Like, God, is this, is this for real? Is this really going to happen? How many of you have ever been there? God spoke to your heart, showed you some things. Looked like everything was going in the right direction. All of a sudden you hit a wall. Bam! And you're like, ah! Now, now this is happening, that's happening, this finance is dried up, or this door closed, or whatever. And you're in this quandary, and you don't know, God, what are you doing here? And so Joseph, and, and what's interesting about this is that if Joseph just would have looked to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he would have saw this verse, and it would have said, the Lord's going to give a sign to his people. A virgin is going to conceive a son, and his name is going to be called Emmanuel. So there it was, right in the Word of God. All he had to do was go there. But thank God that he was good and merciful, and he worked with him. So he sends him an angel in a dream. And what does the angel tell him in the dream? Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Praise God. But the ringer that he had to go through. And see, the thing is, once the angel came to him, once the angel brought the word to him, once the angel spot, uh, spoke to him, now he can make some adjustments. The Bible says that he took her to be his wife. Now, it really doesn't explain all the details, but he knows this, that, you know, A, he's got he's to make this look like it's, it's the right thing to protect her. He's got to move forward. So maybe he did the march, maybe he did the whole blowing of the trumpet and the shout and brought her in. But we know this, that he could not have any physical relationship with her until after Jesus was born. So he was truly a righteous man. <laughs> but he had to bring her into his house. And so there they abode. But what's interesting about this is why the virgin birth? He didn't understand it. They couldn't understand it at the time. Why did God want to do a virgin birth, right? Now, we understand it because we, we understand more of the light of, of spiritual things where we know that, that we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity, that there was no way that Jesus could be 100% only man because man is already born in sin. He's already got a sin nature. He needed to be man, yes, but he still needed to be God. And the only way he could do that is if his father was not a human man. His father had to be God. But do you think he understood that? Probably not. You know, it's interesting. When you look at the genealogy of, of Joseph, you get to a verse in Matthew chapter 1. 
And I don't think I gave this to you, Chad, so just uh, don't be looking for it fr frantically back there. <laughs> but in, um, <clears throat> in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, he, Jesus uh, goes over the different um, genealogy, and it comes to verse 11, and Josiah begat, now I would say Jeco, Jeconiah, but it's Jeconiah, something like that, Jeconiah, or I don't know, somehow, the J is silent, so Jeconiah, I don't know, anyway, yes, and I still can't say it, <laughs> but it says when it gets to him, and his brothers about the time when they were carried away to Babylon. So there was an interesting thing that was going on. During the lineage of David, there were different kings that came into place. And then when they came to the son of Josiah, Jeconiah, uh, he was so evil that he sent the prophet Jeremiah to him, and you'll read this in Jeremiah 22, verse 30. Jeremiah comes to this king, and he tells him, it's over. You are going to be as a seedless man. In other words, your offspring from here on out will never sit on the throne and prosper as a king. You'll never, it'll never happen. And so what happened at this time around 600 B.C., here comes Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. They come into, into Israel, and they come into uh, Judea, and they take him away. And they bring, that's when they kind of ransacked all of Israel. For, and they took out all these people, and they began to bring them over to, to Babylon to make them their servants. And then they did this a couple times. They kind of had a cleaning of the house a few times within a few years. You know, different ones would come in there. All right, I'm going to take some more. And they would basically just leave the weak and the poor ones there. And they just wiped out that whole land of Israel and brought them into exile. And, but because there was this curse that was spoken, there was no way that through the physical, biological seed that Jesus could take the throne because there was this curse. And it's interesting, after that happened, Israel never had another king from the lineage of David on the throne. They went into exile and then whenever they would try to come back, they had governors. And then eventually it kind of morphed into what was when Jesus was there. They didn't have a king, but basically what, you know, they had a king, um, King Herod, who was appointed by Rome, but he was not a king of the Jews. But they basically ruled themselves through the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the created governing bodies through those two group of religious sects that kind of ruled the children of Israel. And the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees is that the Sadducees um, didn't believe, you know, they were, they were more, um, um, the Sadducees were a little bit more um, sophisticated, high class type, and so they really um, didn't believe in the resurrection. 
So they were sad, you see. And then the Pharisees, they, they believed in the resurrection. So they were fair, you see. Um, okay, all right. <laughs> but that was kind of their ruling, governing body. They never had a king again because Jeremiah you know, gave the word of the Lord, and that was it. And so here, Joseph probably didn't realize that. Like if he would have somehow got involved and created that child himself, there was a curse already there. It wouldn't have worked. So there's a lot of things that he didn't understand. But see, those were the judgments of God. And of course, the lamb had to be without spot or blemish. Could have no sin in it. The blood had to be pure. It wouldn't have the authority if it was a man, just a, a human being. It wouldn't have the authority to overthrow the power of the enemy. The, the, the sacrifice and the, would not have been valid and done, had the power and the authority to break the power of the enemy. See, he didn't understand all that. So think about it for a minute, for a moment. What if Joseph somehow could have intervened and changed things up a little bit? And now he's feeling pretty good. I got this son, and God's, this son's going to be the, you know, the promised Messiah. He's going to be the one. And he goes through his whole life, and he's just doing, working hard, raising the son. And Joseph was a very dedicated man. Every year he would go to Jerusalem, bring his family there. We read about that when Jesus was 12. He brought the family there. They actually lost Jesus, or he kind of hung out with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, probably talked about the resurrection. No, um, but he got into the word with them. So he was very devout, but he spent all this time making sure, raising his family. Can you imagine if he would have done that, but yet didn't follow God's plan from the beginning? It would have been a waste. It would have been a lost effort. But see, there was a judgment here that God had to operate in, that God was going to work in. It had to be a virgin birth. And he didn't understand that. And there's times in our lives we don't necessarily understand it. There's something below the surface. We don't know why. Why, isn't, why are we getting healed right now? We want to be healed right now. Why is the healing taking a little longer? We know we're healed. We know we're going to get healed. We know that God's provided healing for us. We're not doubting that we're healed. But why isn't it happening today? Think about the wisdom of God. Here God sends Moses into the children of Israel. Here he goes in there and demonstrates the power of God and shows the Egyptians that God is God. Every one of those plagues was a direct attack against a false god that was prominent in the land of Egypt, the god of the Nile, the god of the sun. All of these things, again, was showing and displaying that God alone is God. So then he leads them out. Finally, he gets them out. Finally, he leads them out. And where does he lead them? He leads them to a, a dead-end street <clears throat> by the Red Sea. What's the wisdom of God in that? They're all scratching their heads. Like, you know, here comes this army. It's bearing down on us. We're, we got nowhere to run to. We got nowhere to go to. But what's the wisdom of God in this? Does anybody know? Question and answer time. Trust? Okay, trust. All right. Anybody else want to interject a thought? Jordan? 
Amen. Show his Okay. Praise God. Good. Amen. God wanted to show who he really was. Just in case you didn't figure it out in the first 10 plagues, just in case you haven't got the idea right now, I just want to show you. God was also giving the Egyptians a second chance. I don't know. If I was a chariot driver, I don't know. Tell me if you would think this way. If you're a lead chariot driver, right, and you've gone through the 10 plagues, you know what this God could do, and now you see the Red Sea open up, and first of all, you've been held back by fire and a cloud. So you can't get past that. Now that goes away. The Red Sea is open. Are you going in the Red Sea? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> so what was God doing? He was trying to give him a second chance. Hey, don't go in there. Just stay over there. But they wouldn't listen. So God had to do what he had to do to protect his people. So on the surface... You would think, this is, God, you made a mistake. But the depth of his riches of wisdom and knowledge prevailed. And God had a plan. And so here, Mary and Joseph, you know, he didn't understand why it had to be the virgin birth. But it was. So he finally nestled into that. They kind of got comfortable in that. Okay, this is how God's going to do it. This is how God's going to work it. And, you know, now he, she's living with him. They're in their house together. They're enjoying this life. They're thinking now about how is God going to do this? We're going to raise our son here. You're going to have a baby here. We're going to raise our son here. This is going to be totally awesome. How is God going to work this out? <laughs> I'm getting choked up over it. <laughs> so, now we'll go over to Luke, chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 1 through 7. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place in, here's another one of these great names. <clears throat> you would you'd want to say Quirinus, but it's, it's not, it's, the Q is silent, so you got to go Aquinius. It's Aquinius. Yeah, there you go. We're going to go with Aquinius. And uh, <clears throat> he was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, or Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary. Now, again, the, the scripture says his betrothed wife, but again, legally they were married. They just hadn't consummated it yet. So trying to make a clear definition here that he's still not biologically, it hasn't happened yet. God's the father here. And then, and so it was that while they were 
there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for him at the inn. So here they are. They're, you know, God, they, they got through the first part, the virgin birth. They got that figured out. They're, in, they're working with God on this. They're, they're cooperating with him. But now all of a sudden, close to her due date... How many of you ladies close to your due date likes to plan a, a two-day journey on a donkey? <laughs> now, just to kind of give you a, a little bit of a visual, you have up on the top here is the area of Galilee. And in Galilee, you have the city of Nazareth. There's Capernaum and a bunch of other cities. So that's up here in the northern part of Israel, the northern kingdom. And then you go down to the land of Judea, and that's where Bethlehem is. And then you go over here, and that's where Egypt is. Nazareth, Bethlehem, Egypt, and then over here is where Iran is, or the east. And maybe, I don't know if I have it right. Yeah, there you go. So just got that picture in your mind. So here they are up here. And, of course, to get from here to there riding on a donkey, it's a two-day journey. You know, in a car, it would be a few hours. But, you know, you're going donkey speed. And I'm sure there was a few stops. <laughs> i got to go to the bathroom again. <laughs> this donkey is killing me. <laughs> you sit on the donkey. I'm going to walk now. <laughs> oh, that must have been an interesting uh, journey. <laughs> But she's that close to being, to being her due date. So it doesn't make sense. God, why are, you, why are you doing this? Why are you changing this up? Why are you making this difficult for us? But again, all along, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. If Joseph would have read Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it said, O Bethlehem, out of the smallest and the littlest of towns, out of you, a child is born. If he would have read that, and, and, and actually that was kind of a common knowledge, that they knew that the, the Messiah was going to come out of Bethlehem. When Jesus was in his ministry, when eventually he came back and he grew up in Galilee and he was in his ministry, there actually became a, a division, a, an argument, and they were saying, he can't be the prophet. He can't be the Messiah because the Messiah doesn't come out of Nazareth. The Messiah comes out of Bethlehem. So it was very much common knowledge. The Magi, when they came, they went to the, the uh, King Herod. He, he sent them over to the scribes, and what did they do? They told him Bethlehem. So it was a common knowledge. So there it was. Joseph should have known or could have known. we got to get to Bethlehem. He can't be born here. He's got to be born there. But for whatever reason, he wasn't going there. So God had to work something out. He had to create a census. Here, King Herod had to create a census to tell everybody to go back to their home country. So Jacob or Joseph's father, his name was Jacob, and then his grandfather lived up in, in Bethlehem. I'm sorry, down, down. They were up here. They lived in Bethlehem. So what happened is, going back to 
Babylon, when they took out all these Jews out of exile, they kind of emptied out Israel, like cleared it out. And all these Jews now were in exile. They were servants. They were slaves. They were living amongst the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And then as God began to raise up people like Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the wall and so forth, there was a migration of Jews that were coming back. But they weren't coming into the northern part of Israel. They were coming to Jerusalem. And during that time when they were starting to occupy Jerusalem, it became overcrowded. And then at about 100 B.C., a huge migration of people went from Jerusalem up to Galilee. And Galilee was a, was a very fertile area. You had the, the Sea of Galilee. You had a lot of rivers. A lot of farmers went in there. It was a great place to go. So a lot of people traveled up that way. And that's why Joseph ended up there, because probably his grandfather was in that migration. And same with uh, Mary's grandfather. So now, but you know, here, here the baby has to be born in Bethlehem. And it says it right in the word. But he's not picking up on that. He isn't connecting the dots. But God says, well, okay, I'll alter some situations here. I'll put something in King Herod's heart to make this decree so that he'll have to go there. I'll get him there. Now, what's interesting about him having to go there, and maybe God didn't quite give him that revelation because maybe he would have went there at the wrong time. But he had to go there exactly at that time. And what's interesting is, you know, here he goes, kind of forced to go. And, of course, there's a lot of people there because, again, there was this migration. So there was a lot of Jews going to, going down to Bethlehem because they had to get registered. So, of course, all the hotels were booked. You know, it's kind of like trying to find a hotel near Green Bay on, on a Packer game, home game day. Have you ever tried to do that? It's unsuccessful. Don't do it. If you're going to go to Green Bay or within, a, within an hour of Green Bay and there's a Packer home game, just cancel the plan and wait till a, a different date because you will not find a hotel. And so, of course, here they come. They're in Bethlehem. There's no hotel. You know, can you imagine Mary? She's probably like... Joseph, where am I going to stay? Where am I going to have this baby? Well, I think we're going to go in a cave over here where there's a bunch of animals. And as our funny meme says, that was the beginning of the silent night. <laughs> they weren't talking to us. <laughs> yes. And so here, you know, but Why? I mean, God can do anything, right? He could have had a rich person open up their house, work something out. Why in this manger? Well, A, God, he was doing it in the most humble way possible. I'm not coming in here as the glorious king. I'm coming in here humble. But there's a lot of things that are going on you know, the Bible talks about the shepherds were out watching their sheep at night. Do you know that shepherds do not stay at, shepherds don't work a third shift. Shepherds don't go out and watch their sheep at night. 
That was a, that's a very uh, isolated occurrence that happens only once a year. A lot of times what the shepherds do is they have their teenage sons go out and tend the sheep. And we see that in the story of Samuel when he comes to Jesse's house to anoint one of his sons to be a king. He goes through all the sons, and, he's, and God says, no, 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 no. And he's like, do you have any other kids? Do you have any other sons? He goes, well, yeah, I got this teenage boy. His name is David, and where was he? He was out watching the sheep. But the only time, the only time that the men, the, the men shepherds would go out and not only be out there, but watch the sheep is when the sheep were having babies. And they had to be out there because when that mother lamb gave birth to a baby lamb, they had to pick that lamb up, dry him up, make, keep him warm, make sure they wouldn't die. So those shepherds were out there watching for those sheep to be born. And Bethlehem actually had a reputation that if you wanted to get the best sheep for your sacrifice to give unto God, you go to Bethlehem because they had the best sheep. And so here, the shepherds were out there watching for the lamb to be born, and here God was bringing his lamb to be born. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? As a matter of fact, the, the, the Passover, or uh, the Palm Sunday, that was another Jewish, that was a Jewish uh, event. And basically what it was is all these people from different areas were carrying their sacrificial lambs to Jerusalem to offer them for atonement. And while all these people were coming from all these different cities and nations and kingdoms carrying their sacrificial lamb, here God was carrying his sacrificial lamb on a donkey, bringing him into Jerusalem for the sacrifice. Isn't that awesome? So, you know, Joseph doesn't quite realize all that. He's just going there and because he's got to get registered so, he, so a census can be done so he could <clears throat> obey the law of the land. But here he's bringing the Lamb of God. And there's something else going on. There's, there's an entourage of magi that have been traveling probably as far as Iran. Maybe some say they may have even came as far as China. But, you know, think about it. When they were put in exile, Daniel was over in Iran, which, is per, which was Babylon at the time. And while Daniel was there, of course, he was imparting different wisdom and telling them about these dreams and telling them about how God was going to bring this ruler, this ruler who was going to rule the world at one time because God gave him that vision, gave him that, that dream. <clears throat> so that information must have been out there. And then, of course, we have Solomon and how great he was and the kings from all over. Bathsheba, or King Sheba came from the east to, to offer up uh, gifts to him. So a lot, of, a lot of influence of God is going to bring this great king was out in the, in the east. And now there was even a prophecy that a star would come out of Jacob. In Numbers 24, 17, Balaam brings out this prophecy that a star was going to come out of Jacob. And lo and behold, here comes the star. 
here comes these wise men. Now think about these wise men, for example. You know, we have this, we have the nativity scene in our mind where we have these three guys that are carrying each a box of, you know, a little box of something, right? But the wise, this was something much, much bigger than this. Hundreds, camels, an entourage. I mean, it had to be something so significant that A, it would make Herod feel threatened. Like if three guys came with robes and a couple boxes and they say, hey, we're looking for a king, you know, he might have just like, yeah, there are a couple, couple Looney Tunes here. But now you come in with an entourage of a couple hundred people and you come in with all this wealth. There wasn't just the three little boxes. There was, there was uh, you know, camels loaded up with saddlebags full of wealth and riches and gold and frankincense and myrrh. Carrying that in. It got their attention. Not only did it get the King Herod's attention, but it got the leaders and all of Jerusalem was troubled by this. They were troubled. It was that, that word troubled is the same word that the disciples felt when Jesus came walking to them on the water that says they were troubled. They didn't understand this. This was, this was beyond their understanding. And so here comes these wise men. And they're coming not to Nazareth. They're coming to Bethlehem. And God wants to get them to Bethlehem. God wants to get them to that place of honor and blessing. And it goes against their logic. It goes against their comfort. It goes against their situation. This is difficult. I'm sure that, that two-hour donkey ride down to, to Bethlehem while she was uncomfortably pregnant was a very difficult ride, and I'm sure there was a lot of conversation. But in that, I'm sure they were just saying, okay, God, whatever you're going to do, however you're going to work here, whatever you want, I'm sure there was a time of yielding. If, if they didn't, they would have got a bad attitude and made it turned around and went back, but I'm sure during that time there was some yielding, there was some surrendering, there was some casting their cares on the Lord. It was some of this, okay, God, your ways are better than our ways. What does it says in Isaiah 55? It says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. For as the heavens is higher than the earth, so are my ways above your ways. But God said, I will send my word. I'll send my word. I'll send my word. And where I send my word, it'll accomplish the thing that I have purpose. It'll accomplish the thing that I've said. So even though you're going through difficulty, even though you're going through struggle, even though you're going through situations, if you've got the word of God and the word of God says that you are blessed, the word of God says you are healed, the word of God says you are strengthened, the word of God says that he's going to do something in your life, then you've got that word, and that word will come true no matter what the situation you're dealing with. No matter how uncomfortable you feel, it's coming to pass. And I'm sure they were holding on to that, looking to that. And so there they are. And, you know, they got there, and that was a kind of a whole process. They had the baby there. The shepherds came. God was just doing everything right in line, right in sync with with how he does things and, and, and his laws and his truths and his judgments. He's doing everything right in line with that. 
And then uh, they have to stay there because she's got to, they got to off, they got to go through eight days of waiting until the child can be circumcised. Then she's got to stay there another 40 days because she has, it, it's her firstborn male son and you have to offer your firstborn male son to the Lord. And there's a whole consecration and there's offerings for that. So they had to stay there for that. So they said, you know what, why don't we just get a place and stay here? So they stayed there. And at some point, when, when baby Jesus was maybe a year to two years old, then all of a sudden they get a knock on the door. Now, maybe up to that point, you know, it's like, okay, we're just going to live now in Bethlehem, or in, we're going to stay here. This is our new hometown. So they had to go through all that in their mind, settle in. Okay, this is where we're going to be. And then all of a sudden... They open the door, and there's 100, 200 wise men, camels, all at their house. They think, oh, my gosh, what's going on here? <laughs> they start coming in with wealth, and they start laying it on the floor right in front of the baby, right in front of Jesus. I mean, I don't know. I, I just try to, try to go there in my mind, and I, I would just be blown away, like, like, it would be like Christmas on steroids, on steroids, on top of more steroids. I mean, it would just be <clears throat> over the top. And now all this wealth is poured out. Oh, we're going to buy a new house here. We're going to be, we're going to, we're going to get that house up on the hill. We're going to have more sheep. We're going to have this. I'm going to have a bigger business. I could just imagine where their mind is going, right? And it's a great day, and they're worshiping and festivities, and all this is going on, and how wonderful it is. <gasps> well, let's hit the hay tonight. And he goes to bed, and an angel comes and says, Pack up, get out. Herod's coming after you. He wants to kill your, your son. You know, Herod was a bad dude. Herod killed two of his sons, and his wife, because he was suspicious of them trying to usurp his authority and his power or take over his throne. As a matter of fact, Caesar, who was the, the king of Rome, what he said about Herod is he would rather be a pig in Herod's house than to be his son. <laughs> he was just that ruthless. So it makes sense. How could somebody go out and kill all these young babies to and under? He even had a decree that when he dies, that there were certain religious Jewish leaders that had to be killed this day that he dies. And the reason why he wanted that is because he wanted people to mourn when he died. Because <laughs> he knew they weren't going to mourn over him. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> we'll have him mourn over something. But that's how ruthless he was. So again, they're up in Nazareth, two-hour journey. Now they're down in Bethlehem. Now <clears throat> they got to go to Egypt. So it's not, it, if they were up here and they had to go to Egypt and go through Jerusalem, they would have never made it. Herod would have got them. But here, they were closer to their escape route. So the wisdom of God. 
you know, plus with Mary, you know, being that pregnant, I'm sure she got away with that for quite a while, right? But there was coming a point where you're going you're gonna to start doing the math, okay? They got married, and six, five months later, she has a baby? Something doesn't add up here. But now by them being out of there, being in Bethlehem, didn't raise any questions, didn't cause any issues, didn't cause any problems. The wisdom of God. See, God is doing things in our lives. Sometimes we don't understand it. There's things going on beneath the surface. We don't know why. Why did God give Joseph a dream and tell him he was going to be a leader and a ruler and then send him off to be sold as a slave and to go into a prison and to live in prisons for many years? Why would God do that? He was a young, gullible man. He was the favored, spoiled child. He had the coat of many colors. He didn't know what it was like to work for anything. He didn't know what it was like to endure hardship and suffer. And he was gullible. He believed everybody loved him. But he needed to be around people to know and discern and be able to discern character and know who's right and know who's wrong and understand people better. You take him as a king, as that little boy, and you put him in that position, he would do a terrible job. He would mess everything up. He would not be able to handle it, endure it, and be able to operate in the wisdom of God. But because he went through all that he went through, he got prepared. God was able to prepare him. I just want to read one more verse here. Hallelujah. Praise God. If I can find it in my hodgepodge here. All right. Here we go. Second Corinthians. Verses four, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not become discouraged, spiritless, disappointed, or afraid. Though our outer self is progress progressively wasting away, yet our inner self is being progressively renewed day by day. For our momentary light distress, this passing trouble, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, a fullness beyond all measure, surpassing all comparisons, a transcendent splendor of an endless blessedness. So we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things which are vis visible are temporal, just brief and fleeting. But the things which are invisible are everlasting and imperishable. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you are just working in us, in this church and in our lives individually, a plan. And there's been things that have come and tried to throw that off, tried to, to, de to derail it. But God, your spirit has come and has, your word has been sent and it's truth and it'll keep us on track. And Lord, we just keep our eyes on you and we know that as we keep our eyes on you, we don't lean to our own understanding, but in all our ways, we trust in you, we acknowledge you, you direct our paths. So Father, I thank you that your plans are yet, your promises and your are yes and amen, your plans will come to 
to pass. That even in those times of those darkest hours and those difficult times, Lord, your word has not lost its power, its provision, but Lord, it's bringing forth. It's bringing forth the thing that you've promised, the thing that you've spoken. And so, Lord, we will stay obedient to you. We will stay in line with you. We will stay in connection with you, Lord. And, Lord, we'll let you work things out the way you want to do it. In Jesus' name. And i got to read one more scripture, one more. The Lord did not, didn't want me to let go of this one. Deuteronomy 29, 29, and this should be our attitude in all things. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things which are revealed and disclosed belong to us and to our children forever, so that we may do all the words of his law. Amen. Test, test, hello, hello, hello. Well, I'm glad um, we're playing tag team here. Um, I'm glad you didn't leave that last scripture out. That was good. Wasn't that good this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I just wanted to, us to have another, because I just felt like we should stay on the theme this month, and I just wanted to have another, you know, view and, and outlook on, on Christmas and see what God would speak to one of our other team um, ministry teams. So I'm just so thankful to have Pastor Nick and Jeannie with us. Hallelujah. 